What's happening, guys? You're listening to episode 75 of the DLSS podcast. D-Love here. Nate's out this week, so I'm flying solo. He's up at his Lake Isabella house, turning it over. The Airbnb is popping, so if you guys are interested, make sure to get your reservations in. This guy's quickly turning into like a real estate investor, and it's a good thing, too, because as you know, Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group always sponsoring the show, so hopefully we can link up with him and he can take care of business and get Nate a loan. And if you guys need to take any of the cash out of the equity of your home or get a loan yourself to purchase a home, make sure to check out the people that support the show by going to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com and let them know the DLSS podcast sent you and it really does help us out a lot. Lots to talk about this week, guys. We are going to break down the weekend's action. Kevin Holland versus Derek Brunson and the card that uh, preceded it, but we are also going to focus mainly on next week because I'm excited. UFC 260 is coming up. Francis and Ganu versus Stipe Miocic 2, the rematch over three years in the making. So we're going to quickly burn through the uh, Holland and Brunson card. I'm going to go over the results for you, touch maybe a little bit deeper on a few of the more notable fights on the card, but then we're going to take a break, recap the points for the predictions challenge, and then really quickly get ahead to UFC 260 so I can dive in, give you my breakdown and my picks. Again, of course, Nate's out this week, so we'll get his picks later on in the week, but i got a lot in store for you guys this week and really excited, so let's get to it. All right, UFC. Holland versus Brunson. Again, just going to rattle off some of the results here. I'm uh, going to list them off and then give you a couple of my thoughts on a few of the you know notable performances from the night. But starting off on the uh, beginning of the card, Bruno Silva takes out JP Buys two minutes, 56 seconds of the second round. Uh, he dropped him twice in that round and ended up making it uh, easy on the ref to stop the fight. Didn't start off well for the Bays. Sorry, Bays family, not Buys. And, uh, yeah, because him and his wife, second, I made a mistake last week, second uh, married couple to compete on the same card, second to uh, Montana De La Rosa and Mark, Mark De La Rosa, her husband. So, yeah, the Bays family, JP, uh, came out on the first fight of the night, didn't get the W, and uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes a little bit later. But Montel Jackson ends up taking out Jesse Strader, 1 minute 58 seconds of the first round. Uh, TKOs him and made it look easy to be honest uh, I told you guys I thought it was going to be it looked like to me on paper kind of like a showcase matchup for Montel Jackson ultimately ended up going that way Trevin Giles takes out Roman Delize, uh three round decision he uh, Delize started off powerful and strong and it was pretty even first round Delize seemed to take the second and then started to fade get really gassed and so since it was a close fight the third round seemed to go um, the way of Trevin Giles even though they were both a little bit like I said, a little bit fatigued and a little bit uh, their pace slowed significantly by the third round. But I uh, wasn't mad at it, although I'm not a big fan of Trevin Giles. But I think the right guy won this fight. So decision by Trevin Giles. And then moving up to Carly, Leonardo Santos versus Grant Dawson. We're going to dive into this one a little bit later after I uh, list the rest of the results. But this one is a really, really interesting finish. Uh, 459 of the third round. One second left in the fight. So we're going to pin, put that, a pin in that. I'll be right back to that. Next one, Mario Renault versus Macy Chesson the featured prelim. Uh, Macy Chesson, man, a hard-fought decision. She ends up getting the victory over Marin Renault. She looked strong, dominant in the clinch, and uh, that was my concern. Renault could potentially have taken her down and kind of uh, been physically imposing and uh, kind of slowed down the pace of the fight potentially, but Chesson was able to keep her distance, uh, do well in those clinch exchanges, used her size and strength pretty effectively, and came away with the decision. Busted up Renault. I think it was a second round. Busted her nose up pretty bad, uh, so she was wearing it, but congrats to Macy Chesson on 
a hard-fought decision. And then that does it for the prelims. Main card opened up tied to Avasa. Gets it done versus last-minute replacement Harry Hunsucker. He stepped in uh, for uh, Dontel Mays last minute. 49 seconds in the first round. It looked like once he felt to Avasa's power, he was not interested. And, uh, yeah, he took the second one overhand right kind of behind the ear. Put him down, and that was all she wrote. Next one, Adrian Yanez, I'm going to dive into in just a second because that's one of the ones I want to make sure to give you guys a little bit extra of my thoughts because that was one I want to make sure you guys really go back and watch if you didn't see it. Highly recommend checking out that Bantamweight scrap. Uh, so put a pin in that one as well. Moving on, women's strawweight Cheyenne Buys, the wife of J.P. Buys. She ends up very interesting fight. Uh, I've never seen one fight end up you know, in pretty much the same position all three rounds for pretty much the entirety of the, of the fight. Montserrat Ruiz or Montserrat Conejo ended up getting that head and arm throw takedown once every single round, and that was the the position that Cheyenne Baez was trying to fight out of the entirety of the fight. So that was really interesting, kind of a frustrating, slow-paced, non-exciting decision went for Ruiz. But what was exciting is right after the fight ended, obviously uh, Cheyenne Baez was frustrated. She wasn't able to do what she wanted to do in the fight. As they were standing up to you know separate at the end of the fight, they got into it. And uh, some, some strikes were thrown. I guess apparently Conejo spit on Baze, and then Baze says she's going to follow her home. There's all kinds of shit like they got really heated in there. And But that was the most exciting part of the fight was after it was over. So uh, I would not recommend checking that one out. But interesting uh, turn of events. And then the welterweight scrap, Max Griffin versus Keenan Song. Last minute got bumped up to the co-main event. That's why I thought it could have potentially been fight of the night because I knew these guys were going to come in, try to put on a show now that they knew they were in such a highlighted spot. Max Griffin said after the fight that that really made him emotional and made him come out and try to do his best, absolute best. Keenan Song looked big. He looked powerful. He looked like uh, his power was something that was uh, really affecting Max actually a little bit earlier in the first round. Max Griffin's speed and footwork ended up putting him in position. He backed up Song up against the fence. Ended up taking him out with a 1-2 that looked like Song got hit with a fucking shotgun shell. It was crazy. He dropped super fast and uh, a couple follow-up shots. And TKO, 2 minutes, 20 seconds of the first round for Max Griffin. I really saw something in this guy's last fight. And uh, backed it up this week when I listened to some of the uh, podcasts I, I check out. And uh, he just looked in a, and felt like he was in a really good mental place. Talked about that a lot in his, uh, you know, pre-fight interviews and stuff like that. He, uh, he just really seemed like he'd put things together recently. And a lot of it had to do with what was between the ears for him. And uh, he came and looked great in his last fight. Looked phenomenal in this fight. So I'm really interesting to see, interested to see where they put him next. As the welterweight division, there's nothing but killers at the top. So congrats to Max Griffin on that. The main event, Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. I mean, Kevin Holland tried to pass it off as he was just... I don't give a fuck. I was just fucking around, you know. Wasn't taking it seriously. I mean, but ultimately, his style and his eagerness to try to take out Derek Brunson, although I felt like he definitely, Holland, that is, had the advantage on the feet. He basically overcommitted and gave Brunson his hips every single round. I was eating some delicious shabu with my girlfriend Nora during this fight, watching it on my phone. But even halfway paying attention, I could tell Kevin Holland was... You know, trying to continue to get in Brunson's head second, third, fourth round of the fight when it was obviously not, uh, you know, causing a significant unraveling of Brunson in any way. He was just going to continue to rinse and repeat. And as Brunson even said in his post-fight, when he was on top in a lot of these positions, Holland was on the bottom talking shit, not working to get up, not doing anything to advance his position and change the course of the fight. So Brunson was like, keep that same energy. I'm just going to stay down here and keep battering your body and keep doing what I have to do to win this fight. So... 
Holland's got all the talent in the world. His nickname is Big Mouth for a reason. Apparently, he's been this way his entire life, and he is quite entertaining both inside the octagon with his skills and, you know, his shit-talking persona. And he's funny, man. I like the guy a lot. He's very talented. But uh, his lack of focus in this fight, I felt like, made it, uh, you know, made it look easy for Derek Brunson. I didn't count Derek Brunson out. If you listened to me in the pre- previous episodes, I said he was 100% a live dog and that, you know, he's been looking really, really sharp as of late for himself over his last few fights, taking out Edmund Shabazian in his last fight. Uh, they, there was a meme that was going around that was like uh, it was the train and the school bus about to get hit, and then the, the, the train hits the school bus, and it was like at the top, it was like, you know, all any middleweight, prospects you know working their way up to the title skyrocketing the way to the title and then the train hitting him was Derek Brunson derailing that hype train and Derek Brunson even retweeted that shit he's like yeah basically because his last few fights they've been putting these people up against him that a lot of people think are, are skyrocketing themselves to a title shot and Derek Brunson turns around turns him around and says no not ready not ready for that yet and I'm just stoked for Derek Brunson in a lot of ways although I did go with Kevin Holland uh, but again he's putting it all together working with Henry Hooft in his last couple of camps, and, uh, you know, making, he's always had the power, but his patience, his fight IQ, and a little bit of the added wrinkles to his striking game really helps him set up his main bread and butter, which is that takedown and that wrestling and that ground and pound, so uh, congrats to him for staying focused and not getting rattled and letting Kevin Holland get into his head at all, and executing a beautiful game plan and grinding out a decision, five rounds, unanimous decision, I think even one of the rounds was considered a 10-8, so, uh, Derek Brunson, man, he's uh, pretty damn consistent, which is hard to do in the middleweight division as long as he's been around. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always interested to see how they match make him. Let's see if they put some respect on his name and don't give him another kind of up-and-comer and give him someone in that top five, top seven. I think he's, uh, I think he was seven, I believe, already going into this. So we'll see where they, uh, where they reposition him after this win. But congratulations to him on capitalizing on a main event spot and getting the victory. Uh, but that does it for that. I'm going to go da- back down now. Uh, Keenan Song, Max Griffin touched on that. Shan Baez, Ruiz touched on that. Okay, Adrian Yanez. If you guys have anybody you know that is uh, aspiring to be an up-and-coming fighter or even just a striker for that matter, although this guy is obviously uh, pursuing an MMA career and doing well so far, second fight in the UFC, I believe. If anything, it's most, most third, but I believe it's the second fight. And this is who you want to watch. Adrian Yanez had composure, had patience. His technique was on point. He was extremely fast in terms of his physical, like, fast twitch abilities. But his timing, his vision, his reflexes was so fast. I mean, obviously capitalizing on his youth. But this young man right here um, had a very tough and powerful opponent standing across from him and, and Gustavo Lopez who had a couple points in the fight when Yanez felt like he had him hurt and he was going to try to pour it on him and maybe put him out of there, uh, get him out of there. Uh, Lopez, man, he turned it, turned it on himself and cracked Yanez with a few shots. So he was letting him know, I'm not going to go away easy. And you could see Yanez, even with his very little UFC experience, seemed like a veteran, very poised in there, slowed it down just a little bit, brought it back to a little bit slower pace, more of a technical uh, fight, which was what he was dominating up to that point. And then eventually, you know, don't force the knockout and it'll come. One of the cleanest right hook knockouts. It was like Nate was pointing it out. It was more of a right hook more than it was a cross. Um, but he, 
He switched a lot. He set up his opponent, set traps, so he was close enough to execute a beautiful right hook as Lopez was coming in, put him down, one shot, one kill. It was definitely something that I highly recommend you guys check out. Three, uh, 27 seconds of the third round, so it did take him to the third round to put away Lopez, who is a dog in there, and, and uh, you know, like I said, very powerful, very dangerous in his own right. Uh, I'm interested to see what how he'll bounce back, but I am most definitely paying attention to Adrian Yanez. Like I said, second or third fight in the UFC, Already looking like a title contender at Bantamweight. So uh, he's good on the mic afterwards, too. So someone to pay attention to. Keep your eye out for this young man. Uh, we talked about Tai Tuivasa, Harry Hunsaker. Going back down to the prelims real quick. Just want to make sure not to forget. Oh, that's right. Leonardo Santos, Grant Dawson. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another great example. Something you want to pay attention to. And you know, I like in, I think basketball, they say make sure to fight, or I'm sorry, play hard for the entire, uh, was it 48 minutes? Like, man, I'm going to make myself look like an idiot here in terms of the stick and ball sports because NBA, NFL, all those sports, hockey, I'm a little bit more into. I'm a big Ducks fan. But point being is ever since I became immersed as a, a combat sports fan, I've really lost, I don't even remember how many minutes it is in a damn basketball basketball game but my point of this whole rambling on is that you got to continue to fight hard or uh, or play hard but in this case fight hard for every last second of every round of every fight or every game Grant Dawson was losing this fight he was going on to lose the decision I believe in my opinion to Leonardo Santos he was getting out wrestled he was normally a 145 or coming up to 155 for the first time wasn't having the success he's normally used to having in the uh, wrestling and grappling department. And he's uh, still a big greed on the feet. Santos comes out and comes to win. He's a tough motherfucker. And Dawson, uh, you know, made it competitive but was definitely, in my opinion, on the scorecards losing all the, all three rounds and was about to lose this fight. And uh, it seemed like Santos, the whole third round, felt like he had banked those first two rounds. And although he was on his back most of the third round, just kind of seemed like he was staying safe and burning the clock and, you know, didn't really work too hard to look for any submissions or to really look to get up or anything, to be honest. And then Grant Dawson, at the very end of the fight, where, you know, sometimes you can see fighters kind of like, oh, 3-2-1, like they lose focus. They're like, oh, fight's over. And they just kind of, you know, don't realize that the other opponent is not given up yet grant dawson threw a couple standing hammer fists were kind of like feet on hips position and he kind of back fist hand or fist uh, from a standing position leonardo santos two times three times and then you see the guy's mouthpiece fly out he's completely out cold stopped four minutes 59 seconds of the third round one second left in the fight grant dawson was going to lose this fight again in my opinion but his continuous ability to stay focused and not give up uh, while santos thought he had two in the bag man he just lost focus for one second moral of the story is don't lose that focus you got to fight to the very last bell last horn and uh grant dawson congratulations he this young man got the ability to learn a lot of lessons from a loss but ultimately still come away with the win on paper which is something that's normally very useful for a young up-and-coming prospect fighter that's doing really good to be humbled and to be shown okay that all these fights aren't going to go as easy for you as you might think you got to learn these lessons early in my opinion so then you can come back and uh, shore up those mental gaps and those maybe even technical gaps early on in your career so that you can you know fix those problems before you know you have high stakes or or bigger consequences to losing fights or becoming exposed so in this case this young man got the ability to basically learn the lessons from a tough loss but still ultimately come away with the victory. So congratulations to Grant Dawson in this case. Trevin Giles, Roman Deletes, I think I touched on that a little bit. Montel Jackson made it look easy against Jesse Strader, like I said, kind of a showcase matchup. 
And then Bruno Silva, I just, I guess, you know, just to touch on this one before we move on to the uh, next week and recap the points to the predictions challenge. Bruno Silva uh, coming off a couple of tough losses, but you got to look at the level of competition who he's faced. And, um, you know, JP Baez was coming on, or Baez was coming on this card, and it's telling that he's the opening fight and his uh, wife's a bit higher on the card. So, you know, doesn't have as much UFC experience. I felt like that was the deciding factor here. Bruno Silva was kind of due for a good win is what I was saying and ultimately came away with the TKO in round two. So good for him. But that does it for the UFC Fight Night versus Holland. I'm uh, sorry, Br Brunson versus Holland. Trying to kind of burn through it, like I said, so I can get it a head start on looking ahead to two UFC 260. Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou is at the top of the bill, which I'm extremely pumped for. But there's a lot of other fun fights on the card. So give me a break. Or give me just a second. I'm going to take a break. And then I'll come back, recap the points for the predictions challenge, and then get a, uh, go ahead and start giving you my picks for that card. One sec. All right, we're back. You know what time it is. Time to recap the points for the predictions challenge. All right, guys, another good week in the books. I mean, Jose, he's continuing to do well. I'm starting to do consistently well also. Uh, but I still got a lot of work to do. Starting off the week, Nate had 50 points. Jose had 57 points. I had 39 points. Uh, Win-loss is about the same for Nate and Jose. I got a little bit of work to do there, but... Uh, the week started off good for me. I got one point on Jackson, one point uh, underdog points, two points on Silva. Got a point on Dawson, point on Chieson, point on Tuivasa, point on Griffin, point on Yanez. It was doing well. I switched to Cheyenne Bynes last minute, not sure why, but ended up getting a goose egg there. No points for anybody on the main event. Oh, that's wrong. Actually, Jose switched to Brunson. Had him by decision, and that's ultimately ended up what making him win the week. Uh, so just going down the list, Nate ended up getting five points. He went five and five. Jose ended up getting ten points. He went seven and three. I also went seven and three with seven points. And so the year-to-date totals, Nate's got 55 points, 45 wins, 40 losses, one draw, two no contests. Jose's got 67 points, 47, 38, one and two. And I got 46 points, 43, 42, 1, and 2. So, again, a lot of work to do on my behalf. However, I'm not upset. The last few weeks I have been doing pretty consistent. Jose's just doing well also. Uh, Nate's been catching up. He had a bad week last week, so time to turn it around. Starting with UFC 260. Like I said, guys, we have the heavyweight rematch between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou at the top of the bill. But there is a ton of fun fights on this card, so it's going to be a lot lot of fun to break down uh the co-main event tyron woodley is coming back to take on vincente luque so if that's that's the second fight on uh you know the co-main event you know this is going to be a stat card then we have bantamweight scrap sean o'malley coming back to take on thomas almeida that's definitely going to be fireworks and uh, i definitely i don't think that one's going to the judges jamie malarkey versus comma worthy is the fight after that uh just going down the main card here and then uh prelims we have featured prelim as of now these cards have been getting kind of shuffled around a lot william knight versus alonzo menafield taking uh that one's going to be they're both kind of similar uh matched in terms of their records, 9-1 and one versus 9-2. and two. Minifield coming off a couple tough losses, last one being to Ovin St. Preux. So I'm sure he'll be interested. I'm sorry, really motivated to come back and get a good win. Jessica Penne taking on Hannah Goldie. And moving on down the card, we got Jared Gordon versus Abu Akbar. Sorry if I 
butchered that. Nurmagomedov, that one I can do. Uh, that one's the uh, feature prelim welterweight division. Uh, 17 and 5, Jared Gooden versus Nurmagomedov, 15 and 3 and 1. So I'm sure putting it, this placement on the card, it's going to be all action fight. We got Odestis Bukaskis versus Mikhail Olazenchuk. This particular card has some of the toughest names. So Nate's probably happy that he's not here this week. Uh, Jillian Roberts versus Miranda Maverick before that. And then going down, Shane Young versus Omar Morales. And then the night opens up. Mark Andre Barriut versus Abu Azaitar. So a lot of fun names on this card, especially top loaded and uh, def most definitely. But uh, let's get into it because we are going to continue to break down and do the picks for every fight on the card. Going to burn through the ones a little bit lower down on the card. Give you a little bit more in-depth analysis towards the top in my picks. So let's do this. All right, first one, uh, first fight of the night, Mark Andre Barriut versus Abu Azaitar. I'm going with Azaitar here. He's only got one fight in the UFC, but... Barry, man, unfortunately, if you look at his uh, stats and his record on paper, he's coming off of uh, three losses and one no contest before this fight. So he's lost to Andrew Sanchez, Jot Christoph Jotko, Jung Young Park, and Oscar Petosha was a no contest. But So I don't know. I know he's got more UFC experience, but um, Azaitar, I, I don't know. He, he's coming off of a unanimous decision win over Vitor Miranda, but that was back in 2018. Miranda, I think, has fought since and has looked really good. So I'm not sure how much you could take from that fight. But short and sweet, Azaitar is a very, very slight favorite in this case. He's a minus 105 to a minus 115 um, at the time of the recording on Sunday. So I'm going with the underdog here, Azaitar, to get the win. It takes us to the next one, Shane Young versus Omar Morales. These guys both are coming off losses. Um, very similar in terms of, like, uh, attributes. He's got, uh, let's see here. Uh, Morales has a one-inch reach advantage, a couple-inch height advantage, but uh, similar in record, similar in average fight time, but they're both coming off losses. One, uh, Shane Young coming off a loss to Klein and a loss to Chikadze for Morales, and that one was a close fight, although Chikadze is coming into his own and really uh, transitioning his kickboxing skills into MMA. Uh, big fan of uh, Giga Chikese, but that was a close fight. Omar Morales is a dog. He's a slight favorite in this case, but um, I'm going to go with Morales here to get the win. And then moving on, Jillian Robertson versus Miranda Maverick. Um, I know Miranda Maverick has been doing really well lately. Jillian Roberts, um, I've lost a lot of money on this chick because she's done really well against some high-level opponents, and she's run into a couple roadblocks recently. Uh, they're both doing, let's see, let's take a look real quick. Miranda Maverick has one fight in the UFC, which is for Joe Jua. And then um, Robertson was doing really well. A couple wins, you know, let's see, one, two, three. Three out of her last five. And then her most recently coming off a loss to Santos. But I think she's going to bounce back here. I'm going with uh, Jillian Robertson to grind out a decision in this one. And then the next one, uh, Mikhail Alazonchek versus Modestas Bukowskis. Between all these guys' combined record in the UFC, there's only been one fight, and I believe it was on uh, Mikhail's side that's gone to the second round. So uh, I definitely don't foresee this going to the judges. Uh, I think it's going to win inside the distance uh, for one of these guys. Uh, they both are coming off a loss to Jim Crute. Jim Crute's looked awesome as of late. Bukowskis fought him recently as of uh, 2020. And then, uh, what's uh, let's see here. And then both of them fought him, and most recently, uh, February of 2024, for And let's see, October for uh, Modestus Bukowski. both coming off the loss to Jim Crute. 
Uh, I'm going to go with the underdog here just because it seems like a coin flip fight here to me. Um, the, any one of these guys could put the other one out with one shot. So I'm going to go with Bukowskis here. Bukowskis, Bukowskis minus, uh, I'm sorry, plus 130 underdog to minus 150 favorite for Olazenchik. So I'm going with Bukowskis here to get it done. And that takes us to Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov versus Jared Gordon. Um, Nurmagomedov is a heavy favorite here, minus 230. And it's on paper, if you look at the stats, it's pretty much striker versus grappler in terms of the on-paper stats. Not sure if it's going to play out that way, but um, I ultimately think that Nurmagomedov is going to get it done. So I'm going with the heavy favorite, um, Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov, to get the uh, victory here. Uh, next one is a tough one to pick. It's um, We have Jessica Penne taking on Hannah Goldie. Hannah Goldie's got way less experience in the UFC than Jessica does. Jessica's coming off a three-fight losing skid, and then uh, Goldie's coming off a loss as well. So... Um, it seems like a winner-go-home situation here for Jessica Penne. I'm not sure how it's going to go. Um, right now, I'm just going to go with Penne because she's an underdog. It's pretty close odds, minus 125. Uh, Goldie to Penne, plus 105. I might end up switching this pick or any of them, to be honest, throughout the week. But for now, I'm going with Jessica Penne to get it done. And as of now, the featured prelim is William Knight versus Alonzo Menafield. Again, they do shuffle up cards occasionally lately. Uh, any last-minute cancellations can do that. But this one's, def uh, in my opinion, is kind of like poised to be a feature prelim or a curtain trigger because uh, it's 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 going to be guaranteed fireworks. At least it looks like that on paper. Alonzo Minifield's coming off a tough loss to uh, Ovin St. Peru. I know he uh, you know is kind of someone that the UFC's been uh, behind and trying to push in, to a certain degree, and I think that he's going to be really hungry to come back off of that tough loss and get a victory here. Uh, William Knight, however, not having nearly as much experience in the UFC as Minifield has, is coming off a three-fight winning streak in the UFC versus uh, Alabek, Brundage, and Kmore. So um, I definitely uh, riding a lot of momentum there. Um, he dov does take down his opponents more than Minifield does. Um, he, he strikes a little bit more often, uh, but he also you know takes a few more strikes as well. Decent accuracy on the feet. The midfield here is a slight underdog. Uh, let me double check. Oh, nope. As far as the odds are concerned, this is an even money fight. Both minus 110, so no underdog points to be had here. Uh, so for that, I'm going to go with the guy who's got a lot of momentum, William Knight. I'm going to go with him to get this victory. I know Minifield, uh, as I just mentioned, is probably really you know, eager to get back uh, on the winning side of things after his fight against top opponent in Open St. Peru. So uh, don't be surprised if it goes that way. I could very well switch this pick as well. But for now, I'm going to go with William Knight to get it done. And continuing along, we have Kama Worthy versus uh, Jamie Malark. Slight underdog Jamie Malarkey is the Kama Worthy. Um, I think Kama Worthy right now is coming off that loss to Azaitar, and I think uh, he's going to come back and bounce back and get this victory. I'm going to go with Worthy here. Um, both of these guys are coming off a loss. Malarkey's coming off two losses, one to Brad Riddell and one to Ziam. And I think that uh, this is going to be potentially fight of the night because Malarkey's tough as nails, and uh, Kama Worthy has a lot of power in his hands. He's got a little bit more. Overall experience, a way shorter average fight time. So um, I'm banking on this one ending inside the distance. Uh, Malarkey's got a slight height advantage, but um, they're exactly the same at 74 inches for their reach. So uh, I'm going with Kama Worthy. I think he's going to be able to put out Malarkey and be, the I think, the first to do it in UFC. Okay, well, that does it for those fights, guys. But the top three are the ones I wanted to dig into the most. That's why I kind of tried to burn through those really quickly. But Sean O'Malley's finally coming back. Sugar Sean O'Malley's uh, coming back from his loss to Cheeto Vera, uh, which he denies and is, in, is delusional. He's in denial about. But uh, 
Uh, he says he keeps saying he's, he's putting an undefeated record on the line against Thomas Almeida, who's coming off a devastating loss to Jonathan Martinez, who we saw lose this last weekend to uh, David Grant. So uh, Martinez, who we have uh, over here at the DLSS podcast, we have a lot of confidence in to be a potential top prospect and, and you know be able to contend for the title at one point. You know, what I'm saying is a loss to Jonathan Martinez is nothing to sneeze at. Like, you know, Jonathan, I'm sorry, uh, Thomas Almeida, you know, I was a big fan of his all the way up until his fight with Cody Galbrandt, and we've seen him not really been able to put it together much since. Uh, you know, but look at the list of people he's lost to. Cody Garbrandt, he's got a win over Albert Morales. Shout to, shouts to Albert Morales. Lost to Jimmy Rivera, lost to Rob Font, Font and then lost to uh, Jonathan Martinez. So the list of people he's losing to is obviously the elite top-level opponents. So uh, same thing for Sean O'Malley, to be honest. Though the only person he's lost to in his UFC career is Marlon Vera, who I consider to be of the same elk. So um, I think this is a really interesting matchup. Thomas Almeida has a hell of a lot more UFC experience than Sugar Sean O'Malley does with 22-4-0 and 4 and 0 as far as his MMA record versus uh, Sean's 12-1. and 1. So um, I, I think Sean's, I think this is a bounce-back fight. I think Thomas Almeida, unfortunately, um, is kind of on the latter half of his career, and at least in terms of his performances. And Sean O'Malley needs a good fight to bounce back and get back in the minds of everybody who's you know on the the Sugar Sean O'Malley hype train. So I think this is a good matchup. It's a stand and bank type fight. I don't think Almeida is going to pose uh, pose too many problems in terms of uh, the grappling department and taking Sean down. So um, I think it's just going to be an all-action-packed fight, and I expect O'Malley to get it done inside the distance. So um, for this particular fight card, UFC 260, we are going to do three fights for Method and Victory, starting with this one. So I um, I think Sean O'Malley is going to get it done uh, pretty early. I think it's going to take to the second round, though. I, I go second round TKO Sean O'Malley, which takes us to the co-main event. Uh, somewhat, you know, I don't want to say last minute, but put together uh, you know, somewhat recently, Tyron Woodley's coming back after his uh, from his devastating loss to Gilbert Burns and Colby Covington back to back, taking on Vincente Luque as his opponent. Vincente Luque is a minus two fifty five favorite over former title holder Tyron Woodley. So obviously, a lot of people in terms of the bookmakers don't consider Tyron Woodley to have it anymore. They think he's washed out. Um, I don't necessarily think that's the case. However. Vincente Luque is the real deal. He's been nothing but uh, damage inflicting, and he's just been killer. I, I thought he potentially won that fight against Wonder Boys, and then after that, he went on two-fight winning streak, taking out both Nico Price and Randy Brown. So uh, I just think he's the real deal. Uh, I'm going with Luque to get this done here. Heavy favorite, minus 255 over Tyron Woodley. And since it's the Coleman event, i got to give you a round and method. So um, let's see here. I think he gets it done inside the distance. Third round TKO. Vincente Luque. All right, guys, which brings us to the main event. We have Steve Abiochitz taking on Francis Ngannou. Three and a half years later, Francis Ngannou got uh, a whooping put on him in their first fight. Did land a few clean shots on Stipe, but he was unfazed and was able to uh, execute his game, his game plan and expose the deficiency in the wrestling and grappling department of Ngannou and cardio de department. And um, the entire time he's been making his way back up, knocking out one person after the next in like less than five, you know, 22 seconds in one fight, less than a minute in the next fight. Like it's been a hell, not very whole, a whole lot of uh, ring time or octagon time for us to confirm, you know, these uh, potential new skills and the uh, improved cardio. So it's there's a lot of X factors still, even though Ngannou's worked his way out, uh, way back rightfully, 
um, to another title shot. So obviously John Jones is waiting in the wings. and There's a lot of implications in this fight. Um, we have Steve Miocic, the person that's had the most title defense in UFC heavyweight history. Uh, I consider him to be the UFC's heavyweight GOAT based on his uh, accolades and his record. But um, this is definitely, I'm not going to dispute the fact that this is a new and improved Francis Ngannou, but I think this is a new and improved Steve Miocic as well, coming in at around 2.30 against his fight. I'm sorry, in his fight against Daniel Cormier, and in the third fight of their trilogy, looked the best he looked in all three of their fights. So um, I wouldn't count him out. Obviously, he's the champ for a reason, but it, the odds makers do have him as an underdog, and um, it's it's would not surprise me if you know Ngannou lands that death touch, that dim mock, and just happens to him. He could put anybody out on the face of the earth. But I'm going to go ahead and give the Cleveland Proud uh, champion the the respect and due that he deserves. Going to shoot for those underdog points as well. And I'm going to go Stipe Miocic gets it done. Rinse and, rinse and repeat, similar to their first fight. I'm going for a unanimous decision. Five-round battle. Stipe Miocic remains and still. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. And if you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections, my girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals, Paint Bay, The Journey of a Modern Day Painter, Upper Glass Tent, Eden Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa. California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System. Mac Noodles Abachi Chef. Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care. Sauce Meals. Angie Snyder. And of course, he loves Tumor Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check him out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway. The first class is always free. Tell him the DLSS Podcast Center. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week. Week, same time and same place. Enjoy the fights.